0: Amen. I got to turn this on, don't I? All right. Well, pastors suffering from family withdrawals, I can help you out, pastor. I can loan you a few. And uh, that wouldn't hurt. All right. Well, good evening. Good to, good to be here. Uh, it's nice and cool. It's one of the good things about coming to church on a Wednesday night in the summer. You get some air conditioning. And praise the Lord for that. All right. Let's take our Bibles this evening, and, and I want you to first find 1 Peter chapter 1, and then put a marker there in 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, we'll come back to that. And then find John chapter 21, if you would. We'll we'll, we'll do our reading from John chapter 21, and uh, good to have Joseph back, and Nabonita, we've, we've been looking forward to this for a long time, and... Uh, it was very exciting. I was, I was here. It was Monday, right? Yeah, I was here Monday evening doing extended care in the school, and all of a sudden I look up, and there's Joseph and that was great. All right. So everybody have it. John chapter 21. Let's stand as we read together, beginning at verse number 15 from John chapter 21. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I pray tonight you'd speak to us from your word. I pray that you would strengthen us and help us to be the servants you would have us be, the children that we should be, and help us to be the witness in this community that we must be. Thank you for this time together. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. They may be seated. Three times here the Lord asks Peter if he loves him, and I believe that's partially because Peter denied the Lord three times, and the Lord wanted Peter to express his his feelings. But I would like you to turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to speak tonight, and the title of my message is Simon Says. Now most of, if not all of us as children, played this little game, Simon Says, Uh, However, this is not the theme of my message tonight. We're not going to play Simon Says. In fact, the title is just a play on words. Uh, What I do want to do tonight is I want to see some things that Simon has to say to us. I believe it's some things that Simon learned after his fall. And we all know of the fall of Simon. It's very well recorded in Scripture. Simon denied the Lord, and that was a very... A very dist- distressing thing to him. And Simon learned some things, and, and I believe that, uh, uh, that we can go to his book of First and Second Peter, and from that book we can glean uh, the new Simon. I want to consider for a moment Simon Peter, the subject of our message tonight. At the very least, we could say uh, that he's a very interesting character. You could definitely say that, that Simon Peter was a very interesting Bible character. Uh, and to completely appreciate tonight's message, I think we must understand Peter's psyche. And, and by his psyche, I'm referring to his individual temperament, his, 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 his psychological self. Uh, everyone here tonight fits into one of four temperaments. Uh, there are four basic temperament groups. The first one uh, is sanguine. I think we have uh, Mr. Sanguine here. Hit the button again. There he is, Mr. Sanguine. Now, Sanguines are highly extroverted. Uh, They're very boisterous people. They're very outgoing people. We all know Sanguines. You go somewhere, and they're the guy that meets you at the door, big smile on his face. Hey, how you doing? I'm glad to see you. Great to meet you. That's Mr. Sanguine. They're highly extroverted. They're extremely energetic, uh, always running at breakneck speeds. Uh, Sanguines only have one speed, wide open. That's it. That's the only speed they have. There's no, there's no, they, th- what they need is a governor there that can slow them down at times, but they don't have that. Uh, they run wide open until they pass out. That's a sanguine. Uh, Sanguines are emotionally motivated. Uh, if it's fun, he'll be there. Uh, Sanguines are, are very emotionally based people. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're the people that, that just seem to have all the energy. They seem to be the life of the party, The the class clown in school. These are the sanguines. These are your happy-go-lucky attitude people. Well, there's a second group, and the second group is the phlegmatic. Now, phlegmatics are the exact opposite of sanguines. Mr. Phlegmatic is shy and reserved. Uh, You would never even know he's there uh, half the time. Uh, Mr. Phlegmatic is the person that will walk into a room and will look for the the chair in the very corner of the room. That's where they want. They want that corner chair in the very back, uh, as dark as can be, so nobody will possibly see them. That's Mr. Phlegmatic. Uh, They're very shy and reserved. They're also relatively scholarly people. They're scholarly people. They're very astute, which means they're good students, and they love to read. Now, this is the exact opposite of Mr. Sanguine. Mr. Sanguine has a room full of books, and he's never read a one of them. Okay, He buys a book, he reads the first two chapters, he gets so excited, he puts it down, he never picks it up again. That's Mr. Sanguine. He never finishes a book. Starts them all. He's probably started every book ever published, but he's never finished a one. Whereas Mr. Phlegmatic will read a book thoroughly from cover to cover, probably two or three times. They really love to read. Uh, This is the people that have the very matter-of-fact attitude. The third group are the cholerics. Now, cholerics are very zealous people. They're committed and extremely enthusiastic about everything they do. Uh, They're highly organized. These are the people that they dot every I, cross every T. Every comma is in the right place. Every exclamation point. They know when to use a semicolon or a comma. How many of you know when to use a semicolon or a comma? It gets confusing. Well, Mr. Koleric knows them all. Uh, They're achievers. They um, stay with the job until it's done. Uh, Mr. Choleric is a man. You give him a job, you can forget about it. He's going to finish it. You you know that. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, They're very goal-oriented people. They keep their eye on the finish line. And they have a can-do attitude. And then the fourth group are the melancholics. Mr. Melancholy. Well, these are the somber people. These are the people, when you ask them, how's it going, they tell you. All right, they're Mr. Gloomy Gus. They're always depressed, always discouraged. That's Mr. Melancholy. Uh, they're extremely idealistic. They never, they never face reality. They always deal in ideologies. They're, that's why they're so disappointed all the time, because they expect things to be perfect, and when they're not, they're all gloomy and sad. Uh, they're very pessimistic people. Uh, they're the Eeyore type. How many of you know Eeyore on, uh, on, on Winnie the Pooh? Okay. You know, Mr. Eeyore. These are the, these are the melancholies, very pessimistic. Always think negative. Well, I'll try, but I'm sure it won't work. And that's Mr. Melancholy. Uh, They have the can't be done attitude. And these are the four temperaments. Now, I'm sure all of you are trying to figure out where you are and where the person next to you is, right? And that's the normal thing that happens when you start looking at these temperaments. Now, some here tonight are purely of one temperament, while others may be a mixture of some different temperaments. Now, when considering what we know about Peter... Most would agree that prior to the, to the crucifixion of Christ, we would have to say Peter is a pure sanguine. I mean, he's Mr. Sanguine to the T. Um, he was purely of the sanguine temperament. However, it is apparent from his writings in his later books that Peter went through a change in his temperament after the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. Uh, he had the confidence and energy of the sanguine he had the scholarly intellect of the phlegmatic, and he had the zeal and determination of the choleric. The lessons that God taught Peter are recorded for us in Scripture, and this is the premise of my message tonight. Simon says, What does Simon have to say that is of benefit to us as believers tonight? Allow me to share three observations with you from the book of 1 Peter. First, let me say this. Simon says we are to live in hope. Simon says we are to live in hope. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, please, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. "...who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Hope. Simon says we should live in hope. Now hope is defined as the general feeling that some desire will be fulfilled. We hope for things. Look at verse 3 again in First Peter chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There is so much that needs to be stated here in this passage of Scripture. Where does one begin? How can one uncover the depths of Peter's words in just a few sentences? Consider some of the words we just read. The word elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Elect, not because he foresaw, by virtue of his omniscience, that I would believe. Rather, elect, because he ordained by his sovereignty, that I would believe. Notice the word in these these scriptures, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified separated unto God, not by my works or efforts, but by the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see the word in there, um, we we see the, the, the thought of redemption, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, every drop of which was shed for a particular redemption not arbitrarily or with the presumption that some would be redeemed, rather with a specific purpose and a definite distribution before ordained and established before the foundation of the world. Yet these amazing truths that we just spoke about, election, sanctification, redemption, would all be meaningless and without merit were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, there would be no hope for us today if Christ still laid in the tomb. There would be no election under grace had Jesus remained in the tomb. There would be no sanctification under holiness had Jesus remained in the tomb. There would be no redemption of the wages of sin had Jesus remained in the tomb. But we do have hope today. You and I can live in hope. Why? Because Jesus did raise from the dead. He came out of that tomb. He walked upon the face of the earth. For 40 days, his people saw him. And we read a moment ago, he sat on the beach, on the, along the sea in Tiberias, with Paul, and, or with Peter, and said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? That's a good question tonight. Lovest thou Jesus? He sits at the right hand of God the Father, right now, making intercession for us tonight. We have hope tonight, and it is high time that we, as the children of God, live like children of hope. It's time that we live with confidence, living with confidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul writes, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And today I know whom I've trusted. I know in whom I've placed my faith. My faith is in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of God right now, making intercession for me. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I can live in hope. I can live with confidence today, knowing that my Savior hears my prayers, knowing that he sees and meets my needs. It's time we start living like children of God. It's time we start living in confidence in our our Savior. But not only living with confidence, but secondly, we need to to be living with reverence for our God. Reverence for God. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. It's time we begin to live with reverence for God. I'm amazed today at how people are so blatant toward God. I'm appalled today when I watch television programming where God is mocked, where men of God are are made to look like fools, made to look like some buffoons walking around town. I'm appalled when when I see television programming where principles upon which this nation was founded, mocked, and, and made, to, uh, made to look ridiculous and, and, and treated as if they were archaic. I'm appalled. And it's time as children of God that we have some reverence for our God, some fear, some holy, righteous fear for God. We must live in hope. Yes, Peter is living testimony tonight that we have a hope and that our hope is steadfast and sure He was able to overcome his weaknesses and failures and was able to abound in God's mercy and power. He lived in the hope of his salvation and in the hope of the resurrection of his mortal body. You know, I I thought about this this afternoon. Do you know God knew? Jesus knew that Peter would deny him. Do you know that? He knew that. Peter didn't surprise him. The Lord knew that, and and, and the Lord still loved him, didn't he? And and the Lord spent all that time working with Peter, knowing full well that Peter was going to deny him. And when Peter did deny him, what did the Lord do? When he rose from the dead and spoke to Martha, he said, go tell Peter, go tell Peter that you've seen me. And then at the Sea of Tiberias, all the disciples were there, but the only one we see him really conversing with is who? Peter. See, Peter learned some things. Peter learned. He learned to live in the hope that he had in his Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 again. He said, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, We, rejoice, we greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation. Peter said we're, we're in sorrow today. We're in, we're, in, we're in temptation today. We're under burdens today. But we rejoice and we look forward to our redemption. We live with a hope. We live with the hope that this life is not all. We live with the hope that we will be with our Savior for all eternity. And we must live with that hope as children of God. As children of God, you shouldn't be under the circumstances You should be rejoicing in spite of the circumstances. We have hope tonight, and we must live in that hope. So first tonight, I want us to see that Simon says live in hope. Then secondly tonight, I'd like us to see that Simon says we are to live in holiness. Not only are we to live in hope, but we are to live secondly tonight in holiness. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's begin at verse 13 together, please. Verse 13. Here Peter writes, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We are to live in holiness. Look at verse 16. He writes, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Notice the phrase in in verse number 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, this phrase is a metaphor. From this, we can draw logical conclusions. Now, this phrase would have been apparently understood to those in in Peter's time that he's writing to, his target audience. The men in these days... Uh, wore long robed garments and when they had work to do they would they would grab these garments and they would gird them up around their loins and tie them up so that these garments would not hinder them so they could move freely and so they could work and labor and he's using this metaphor and what he's what he's saying here is gather up your mind gird up the loins of your mind we must be a holy people and if we are going to be a holy people, we must learn to, to gather up and control our minds. How does the devil tempt you most of the time? He, he comes at you through your mind, doesn't he? He, he? he tempts you through thoughts. He tempts you through things you see. And the devil comes at you uh, in that area, and we are to be on guard in that area of our lives. This is illustrative of preparedness. Peter is admonishing us to gather up our minds, to pull our thoughts together, so as to keep them from hindering us in this life. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul writes, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, I think Christians today... I think they spend so much time watching out for everything but their minds. They're careless with what what goes into into the mind. We need to start thinking like a child of God. In other words, we are to live a life that is disciplined and dedicated unto holiness. And this is the theme that we see throughout the epistles written by Paul as well as Peter. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, he writes, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verses ten through twelve, we read, "Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as we know how, as ye know how, we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory." In each of these verses, Paul admonishes us to walk worthy of God to live a life that is worthy of being called a child of God now we're not novices here tonight we know that it is our duty as believers to live in such a manner that we would bring glory to God and not a reproach we know this yet we also understand how easily we forget this and how quickly we are drawn away from this truth Peter was so quickly and so easily taken down by Satan. Remember how he boasted? In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Remember his boast? And how not many hours hence before the night was over, what did he do? He denied the Lord. Satan took him down quick. So what can we do? How can we gird up the loins of our mind? How can we think in ways that will cause us to live in God-likeness? Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things. What do we do? Is it true? If it's not, ignore it. Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it, is it worthy? Is it of good report? You see, we spend our time entertaining ourselves and doing things that we ought not do. And then our mind becomes corrupt. Is it any wonder That today so many struggle in this area of controlling their thoughts and their mind. The car commercials we have, the even the hamburger commercials today are are, are seductive and lewd. Sporting events. You can't watch a sporting event without seeing the cheerleaders running all over the place in their modest apparel, right? Magazines. You ever pick up a magazine lately? newspapers and of course one of the most dangerous things of all is the internet our minds today the minds of our young people are being corrupted every moment and many times so subtly we don't even realize it peter learned that right thinking produces right living now look again at first peter chapter 1 Verses 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy because the Lord is holy. Now Peter is not suggesting that you or I can attain to God's holiness. Rather, he is implying that we are to live in the pursuit of growth in holiness. How? Through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we live in Christ's righteousness and we are preserved in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We are to live holy lives. We do this by girding up the loins of our minds, by by controlling what we think, and we control what we think by being, by being circumspect in our lives and watching out what we expose ourselves to. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Paul wrote, abstain from all appearance of evil. It's no wonder we fall into the traps of Satan today. We're walking through life blinded. We're, we're ignoring all of, the, all of the warnings that the Lord gives us. We're falling into the, into the traps and the snares that are laid for us by Satan himself. We are to live in hope. And Simon says we're to live in holiness. And then lastly tonight, let me say, Simon says we're to live in harmony. We're to live in harmony. We're still in First Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse number 22 together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Did you see that in verse number 22? See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. We are to live in harmony. While I cannot state with any surety that Peter, in his heart, believed himself to be superior to the other disciples, his behavior, at least prior to the crucifixion of Christ, would would strongly suggest that he did. But now, the evidence of Peter's writings clearly indicate his meekness, and his sincere love for his brethren. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 17, Peter writes, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. In First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter writes, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Peter writes, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift. Even so, minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. From these verses, we see that Peter has learned the importance of love for the brethren, the importance of living in harmony. Now, I know that we have all heard multitudes of messages on loving the brethren. And and I know that we have been told many times how this is evident of of our belief in Christ. But I cannot help but believe that at this point in time, this is important to Peter Because Peter understood the value of fellowship because Peter had lost his fellowship with his Savior and his brethren for a period of time. You see, his fellowship was broken by his fall. But now, he's been restored. He's back in the fellowship of the believers. And I'm sure that he wants us to know tonight how important it is that we remain in harmony with one another. It's so important that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, remember how important we are to one another. Let me ask you a question. Who benefits when one of us falls? Does anyone benefit from a fallen brother? Does the church benefit from a fallen brother? Does does another Christian benefit from a brother who falls? No. That's why Paul admonished us that those of which are spiritual should go and restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, he said, considering thyself, realizing that but for the grace of God, that could be me. Do we rejoice when a brother falls? We hear about someone who... Who fell into sin? Do we do we even maybe privately in our hearts say, Yay, I'm so glad he deserved it? That's not the way we're to be. And Peter wants us to know that. Peter wants you to know tonight. He says, I fell. I denied my Lord. I cursed and swore. And I looked over and he looked at me square in the eyes. And at that moment in time, there was no hole in the earth deep enough for me to crawl into. Peter left, if you remember the story, he left weeping bitterly. And Peter went and and found a place where he could be alone, I'm sure. And in deep sorrow, had to deal with this disappointment in his life. But the Lord met him at the Sea of Tiberias. And he said, Peter, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, I love you. Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, lovest thou me? The Lord didn't give up on Peter. The Lord stayed with Peter. And the Lord restored Peter. And Peter had fellowship again with the church and with his brothers. And Peter did great things. And you and I, are to love one another. Consider the admonition of Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, he writes, If there be any, therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, if there was anything that plagued me in my years of association with my fundamental Baptist brethren, it was this matter of mean-spirited Christianity. And many is the time since then, I've gone to Pastor Smith and asked him to straighten me up on that. Mean-spirited Christianity, cannibal Christians, I call them, devouring each other, eating each other up, just so they can get a little higher on the ladder, just so they can get more invitations to preach in chapel services around the country, slander each other, deny each other, rob from each other, pilfer from each other's churches. Why? Out of greed and out of selfishness and out of just a mean old nasty spirit. Is that the way God's children are to behave? Not according to my Bible. Are you angry with another believer tonight? Do you harbor strife or contention? Even if it's only in your own heart. Are we guilty tonight of slander, criticism, or bitterness toward another child of God? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You might say, But you just don't understand what they did to me. No, I might not. But I do know what Christ told us to do. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, we read Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Do the math. You know, if you forgive someone 490 times, 491 will be a piece of cake. You never stop forgiving. When someone is repentant, we forgive. It's not for us to judge their forgiveness or their repentance. If they come to us and as a brother in Christ repent, we are to forgive forgive. John Gill says there is no limit of time on this forgiveness. We forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive forgive because it benefits the heart, the, the, the body. It benefits the church. Remember the admonition we find in Hebrews chapter 12, the warning we find. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I suspect that Peter, after his meeting with Christ at the Sea of Tiberias, learned the importance of love for the brethren and living in harmony within the fellowship of believers. Simon says, tonight Simon says, live in hope. Simon says, live in holiness. And Simon says, live in harmony. What does Peter's life say to you tonight? Let me make this statement and then I'll close. Do not allow the failures of yesterday keep you from the victories of today. So many people So many people miss today's blessings and today's victories because they're living in yesterday's failures. Paul said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Listen, folks, I tell our young people all the time when they make a mistake and I counsel them, this is exactly what I tell them. You cannot undo what you've already done. You cannot change what has happened, but you can change what will happen. You and I as believers, we can't go back to yesterday and undo anything we did. But you know what we can do starting right now? We can live in hope. Starting right now, we can live in holiness. And starting right now, we can live in harmony. And we can walk as God's children, walk worthy of the Lord that has called us into his great service. Let us pray as the pastor comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have spoken to our hearts tonight. Your great servant, Peter, learned many things. And he wants us to learn what he learned so that we don't have to go through what he went through. And I just pray that you bless all that are here tonight. Take this simple message and use it to your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.